Thanks for checking out the Ascent Church podcast. Our mission is to reach, equip, and impact others exactly where they are as we rise to new life in Christ. We hope that this message encourages you. Now, here's Pastor Thomas Lane. Series, remember, is called Asking for a Friend. And um, we want this to be a conversation. We do. We do. We want to talk about it. So we want y'all to submit your hard questions because we're just getting started with this series. Um, You'll hear today's topic very soon. But if you have a hard question about faith or the Bible or about Christianity or just God or anything like that, let us know. Hit us up at Ascent Church VA or at Thomas Lane VA. You can send us a message, comment, tag us, whatever you'd like to do. Send us your hard questions. We would be honored to be able to answer them during the series. And we'll do our absolute best to make that happen. Here's the question for today. Y'all ready? Oh, yeah. They said, I like this crowd. I told the nine o'clock, because now we have two services. I said, I'm a competitive dude. I said, I'm going to compare y'all just so you know. That's what I said. I said, I know it's nine. You're a little early. But I said, y'all need to live it up. And they were doing okay, but I already like y'all better. Did I say that? Oh, Lord. I hope y'all didn't get that on YouTube because the nine is going to be angry. All right, but I like the energy. I like the vibe. And we'll see if the nine can step it up. Here is the question for today. I'm asking for a friend. Ready? I'm asking, for, I'm asking this for a friend. Is the Bible legit? Is the Bible legit? We've all thought this question. Is it legit? Can I trust it? Because a lot is standing on the shoulders of the Bible. And what most of our culture would say is something like this. The Bible's great. It's encouraging. It's inspiring. But you can't take it literally. Like, like you can get inspired, you can get filled up by it, but like, you don't actually think that's real, right? Are you serious? That's what our culture thinks. That's what a lot of us think. And that's what we're going to talk about today. A lot of this is based on the teaching of Dr. Tim Keller. He's my favorite. He has a book, um, Reason for God. If this stuff interests you, if this series is really challenging you, check out his book. Buy it. It'll be worth every penny. Um, this particular one is based off a lecture from him from November 5th, 06, up in Manhattan. Great dude, excited to dig in. But y'all, this is what we do. We rip out parts of the Bible we don't like. That's what we do. We look at the Bible and we're like, I'm vibing with this. I'll keep this. This encourages me. This inspires me. This place is a little outside my comfort zone. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I'm feeling that. So we either ignore it or we rip it out or we talk it away. We justify it and we ignore it. Do y'all know who Thomas Jefferson is? You better. Better have listened to history class. He was a president. Y'all know him. Louisiana Purchase. He founded UVA. Some people say that was one of the low points of his career. <laughs> low, low, low. Many people say it was the greatest mistake he ever made. I'm not done with the UVA jokes. Just get ready. But he, this is not a lie. Thomas Jefferson actually had his own version of the Bible. Did you know that? This is not a pun. This is not a joke. Um, he actually had his own version. He did because he liked the Bible, but he didn't like all of it. He said, I like the morality. I like this wisdom stuff. That's cool. But the, come on, the miracles, supernatural stuff, that's ridiculous. I can't listen to any of that. So he literally had a version where he went in and he, he, he literally just kept the parts he liked and threw out the parts he didn't like. That's amazing. That is something only a UVA graduate <laughs> would think they had the audacity to look at God and say, your word's okay, but I think I can make it better. I'm sorry. Congrats on the national championship. If anyone's out there, you, you deserved it. Come on, you, you earned it. You totally did. I'm done 
with the UVA jokes. Let's pray because if we don't pray, I'm not going to stop. Let's pray and we'll jump in. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, forgive us for throwing out parts we don't like and only keeping what we understand or what we're comfortable with. We look at Thomas Jefferson. We kind of laugh at the fact that he did that. But God, the reality is we do that every single day. God, help us look at your word, see it as it really is, and be challenged and grow in this place. In your son's name we pray, amen. Before we get started, I gotta ask, is Pharrell here? He is. Brandon, sit down, man. You gotta chill. What about Busta? Snoop? I thought he was coming. What about Diddy? Maybe next year. Maybe next year. Let's get to the text. Let's get to the text. Luke 24, we're going to start at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus or Emmaus. Depends how country you are, how you say that word. About seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. This is the, the first Easter ever. We touched on this last week if you were joining us for Easter. But Friday, Jesus was crucified. Saturday was a dark day. Sunday, he was raised from the dead. And they didn't know that. They hadn't seen him yet. They hadn't heard the news. They're walking along, talking this stuff. I love that the Bible depicts two people asking questions on a journey together. Because that, I could not think of a better picture of life and a better picture of the church. Because you need to know we're all on a journey together. This can be your home. This can be your place. These can be your people. This is not a place where we're going to laugh at you for your hard questions. We're not going to condemn you. We're not going to say, get out. We don't approve of that. We don't, we're all in this together. We want to help you. We say this all the time. Some of y'all have started to say it back to me. And I like that. I like that a lot. Some of you in your Easter invites, you said it. But we want to help you explore faith in a fun and authentic atmosphere. That's why we're here. But we're all on a journey. Tell your neighbor, we're, we're in this together. Tell them. We're in this together. We are. You got to believe that. You got to believe that. You got to own that. Verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from, from recognizing him. What you need to know is this. We are all on a journey in life. Jesus could be right there, right beside you, but you could miss him due to your expectations. Is Jesus Christ this close to your marriage, this close to your work life, this close to your faith, but you're missing what he's trying to do because of your expectations? Could God want to do something miraculous in your life, but you are missing it because of your expectations? Could God want to give you a breakthrough today, but you are missing him, you don't see him because of your expectations. These people knew Jesus. They saw him. They walked with him. They lived with the dude. And for some reason, he's right there. And they missed him. Don't be the same way. Don't go to church every week. I'm about to call someone out. Don't go to church every week. Don't read your YouVersion Bible every morning. Don't go to group. Don't be like, I'm, I'm listening to Caleb in the car. I got it number one on the dial. You can look. Okay, don't be that person. Check, 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 check. But Jesus wants to do something. He's right here, but you don't recognize him. You don't see him. Don't be like these people. Don't be like them. I'm glad they're here. This is a lesson for us. The first reason we can miss Jesus, the first reason we can misread scripture is the first thing is culture. We're gonna talk about culture. You need to know cultural blinders keep us blind. Cultural blinders keep us blind. When you come across something in life, just like they were doing, especially if it's a thing of faith or spirituality, we see everything through the lens 
of our culture. Now, Americans are funny because we don't think we have a culture. We think everyone else is a culture. We think this is just normal. This is life. We absolutely have a culture. We have some assumptions. We have presuppositions, unlike anyone else in the world. And you have to understand them. Here's what we like to do, especially if the Bible says something we don't like. We look at something, something that seems like the Bible's saying something crazy, like this. We'll say, we'll be like this. We'll say like, well, the Bible talks about slavery, doesn't it? And it was wrong on that. So therefore, it could be wrong on this other stuff as well. You never know. You never know. And that's oftentimes we use that to justify one of our actions. Maybe we don't feel like giving, or we don't feel like loving on that person, or we don't feel like taking a risk. It's easy to look at the Bible and be like, well, it condones, it condones slavery, so who knows what else is wrong on? That's what we do. Let's talk about that one, for example, slavery for a second, just to make sure everyone in the room is very uncomfortable. Let's talk about slavery <laughs> for a second. Some of y'all are like, I knew it. They told me if I come to church, I'd have fun and there'd be donuts. And we're six minutes in and he's talking about slavery. But let's be honest. Let's, let's you know, asking for a friend in that spirit, let, let's talk about it. Does the Bible condone slavery? Well, you may say, obviously it does. There's one verse, this guy Paul writes to a guy, he says, slaves, obey your master. So you say, of course it does. But I think we got to look further into this. Does the Bible condone slavery? Tell your neighbor, no, it don't. Tell your other neighbor, that's bad grammar. That's bad grammar. You shouldn't talk. You mustn't talk like that. You mustn't talk like that. When I said slavery, something jumped into your mind. It was probably what this country has experienced. It was probably 17th to 19th century, new world, race-based, kidnap-funded slavery. That's probably what you thought of. And when you look at the Bible, you're like, oh my God, that's awful. That's terrible. But a, a historian, we did some research, his name's Murray Harris. He tells us what slavery was like in the first century. I don't even think we should use the word slavery, to be honest with you, based on how you read this. Look, number one, slaves were not distinguishable from the rest of, the, of society. They weren't distinguishable from by race, speech, or clothing. They lived like everyone else. They were not segregated. Two, in the first century, they were often more educated than their masters, and they held high managerial positions. They were well-trusted, well-respected. Three, made, um, many made the same wages as free laborers. They got paid, okay? And they made the same money as everyone else. A lot of them could save up and buy themselves out of slavery. And for very few, somebody say very few. Very few were slaves for life. Most of them were freed after about 10 years or at some point in their mid to late 30s. Now that is a very different picture from new world slavery, from race-based slavery, from kidnapping slavery, which the Bible unconditionally condemns kidnapping and unconditionally condemns racism. Check out Deuteronomy 24, 7, or check out 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 11, if you don't believe me. But when I said slavery, you tightened up, you squirmed a little bit. And if you're just reading the scripture, you're like slavery. Oh, what do we make of that? We got to look deeper. You see, your culture gave you a lens through which you're experiencing the scripture. And you have to know what your cultural little glasses are so you can take them off. You got to know what they are. If you don't know what they are, you're like, what? this is awful. You might throw the Bible out. I wonder how many people have walked away from faith because they read something they didn't understand. Just said, well, I can't be a person that supports slavery. What did the abolitionists turn to who ended up passing the legislation? Did they say, oh, the Bible's garbage, it's trash? No, no, no. They used the Bible as motivation. They said, we are all created in God's image. This is wrong. We can't continue doing this. The Bible was fuel for that movement. 
not something that held it back. Some things we misread due to our culture. Now, that example is one of probably a dozen. Some things we misread due to our culture. Some things we just dislike due to our culture. Some things we're reading properly, we just don't like it. <laughs> it just happens. For example, if I were to give a Bible to any of you in this room or anyone in America and said, read it, you probably would love what the Bible says about forgiveness. <laughs> love your neighbor. Oh, bless those who persecute you. We love it. It's so cute. We love that stuff. But what the Bible says about sex? Mm-mm. We say, Jesus, stay out of my bedroom. I want to sleep with who I want to sleep with, when I want to sleep with them. Forgiveness part of the Bible, I'm cool with that. The sex stuff, no, no, no. Mm-mm. The money stuff, you want to upset someone? Show them what scripture says about money. That'll make them really mad. They'll be furious, right? That your money's not your own, that it's a gift that we steward and we're supposed to serve the poor through the church and we're supposed to give and give and give. People don't like that. It makes us very uncomfortable. But now, that's our culture. Take the Bible to the Middle East. Give them the Bible. They will read what it says about sex and they'll say, it's pretty good. Probably not strict enough, but it's pretty good. (laughs) Pretty good. Good start. But you look at what the Bible says about forgiveness and they say, yeah, you can't do that. That's crazy. You would get destroyed. You can't forgive your enemies. You would get annihilated because it's a different culture. They are in not a, not a guilt culture. It's a shame culture. It's not an individualistic society. So I can't forgive my enemies. Are you serious? It's the same thing. We have the same beef. It's just a different section of the Bible. Scripture offends every culture in some way. Scripture is going to intersect with every culture if you're in Japan or America or Australia or in the Middle East or Europe, wherever. And there's some you're going to be like, okay, I'm vibing with that. And there's something that's going to repulse you. Why do we need to get rid of this Bible? Because it happens to offend your culture for a particular reason. Tim Keller said this. He said, look, to stay away from Christianity, because part of the Bible is offensive, assumes this. If there is a God, he wouldn't have any views that upset you. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, if you read part of the Bible and you're like, that bothers me, that offends me, that challenges me, what you're saying is this. If there is a God, if he is real, okay, fine. But that God, he wouldn't offend me. We would see eye to eye on everything. We would agree on every single issue. I'm 28. I've been around the block. I'm 43. I know my stuff. Me and the Almighty, we see eye to eye. We're the same. And imagine this. Multiply that by 7 billion people. You think if you take 7 billion different individuals and line them up with what God thinks, acts, says, and who he is, there's not going to be some friction. Of course there is. And it's crazy, I think, that we think that sometimes. Here's what I want you to know. Scripture offends every culture in some way. We should not throw this entire book out just because it offends you and it offends your culture. Let's go back to the story we were reading in Luke 17. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas, somebody said Cleo. Cleo asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, Jesus asked. To experience true freedom, you must escape your expectations. What you need to know is this, expectations enslave. And the most dangerous things about them, just like how you view your culture, is you don't even know they're there. You just think it's normal. They fully believed that the Messiah would live forever. As a king, the Messiah came to live forever, not to die. What? 
So they missed him. He was five inches from their face. Jesus was a close talker. He was this close and they missed him. They looked him right in the eye and they completely missed him. Do you see what expectations make us do? They make us downcast. That's not a word we use much. I might use the word mopey. You ever been with someone who's mopey? Just sucks the air out of the room. Now we all have issues we got to talk about. I'm not saying you should put on a smiling face if things are bad, but there's some people, no matter what happens, they're just mopey. There was a cartoon when I was a kid. I don't even know his name. It may, someone told me last service, it may have been Droopy Dog. Y'all know Droopy? He was a little basset hound and he would have Droopy little face and he would go around saying, boo, boo, boo. (laughs) I love you, but that's how some of you are. You're Droopy Dog. Boo, boo, boo. Everything is just Droopy, but it's because of your expectations. They were walking with the risen Lord, but they were droopying, dogging, boo, 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 because they missed him, because of their expectations. Do you know how incredible it would be to walk with Jesus? Even though it's a mild form of cardio, do you know what that would be like (laughs) for seven miles, for seven miles? I didn't say seven, I said seven miles walking with Jesus. That would be incredible. And they almost missed the opportunity. What does God want to do in your life? What does he want to do in your marriage? What does he want to do through your gifts? But you're missing him because of your expectations. I'm gonna let that sit for a second because some of y'all need to reevaluate some things. Just think about it for a second. Think about that. What does he want to do? He walked with him seven miles. I would have walked with him, wouldn't you? Now, if he invited me to run, that's a little too much. If he would have said, we're, going, we're joining the North End Run Club, we're going on a run. I would have said, Jesus, I'll pass. Meet me afterward. Meet me afterward. Look what, he, look what they said. They said uh, about Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. This did not line up with their expectations, so therefore they rejected it. Therefore, they missed it. Therefore, they threw it in the garbage can. How often have your expectations enslaved you? How often have your expectations blinded you? How about in your marriage? How often has an expectation blinded you or enslaved you? It blinded them, blinded them. They didn't see what was right in front of them. It enslaved them. They were mopey. They were droopy. They were missing out on something incredible. How often has it happened in your marriage? Ladies, how often have you expected your husband to be something he's not? You expect him to be like your dad. You expect him to be like your ex. You expected him to be like that dad everyone loves on TV named Jack, who half you ladies have a crush on. I'm not mad about it. I'm just calling it out. You're like, why can't you be more Jack-esque? Now, you've never voiced this to him. You've never explained it, but this can create a tension. It can create some subtle distance. It can create this little, this little void, this little, little vagueness, the, the, the little bit of tension. It's because of our expectations. How often has this happened in your faith? How often has God wanted to do something in your life? But you know what? Your expectation wasn't the same. You said, God, you're supposed to be doing this. I'm supposed to be living here. I'm supposed to be serving this way. I'm supposed to be leading that. But if it doesn't line up how you expect, you can become cold. You can become hardened. You can become very frustrated and very mopey. How often has this happened in your job? You wanted that raise. You deserve that promotion. Now, you never, you never voiced it to anybody. You never said, hey, how can I move up the ranks? You never vocalized it. No, no, no. But they should have just known. And you didn't get it. And now you're bitter. You're frustrated. And mentally, you're checked out. 
That's what expectations do. Here's what you need to know. If you stay enslaved to your expectations, you will never find true freedom. But once you realize you have the opportunity, no, 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 the responsibility to break free, you have no idea what this opens up for you. You have the opportunity and the responsibility to break free. You can look your expectations right in the face and say, I'm not going to let you enslave me anymore. I'm not going to let you blind me to what God's doing in my life. I'm not going to let you steal my hope, my joy, my peace, passion, or my purpose. You might say something like this, God, I'm moving forward. I don't know where my circumstances are. I don't know where you're leading me, but I know you're with me in this fight. It didn't happen how I thought it would. This isn't going exactly how I'm planning, but you're with me in this journey and you will never leave me or forsake me. That's what you got to say. When those glasses are on, when culturally or your expectations aren't lining up, never forget he's with you in the journey. Never forget, he is within hands reach. He's within arms reach. Never forget that. You might not see him, but he's active. You might not hear him, but he's present. Never forget that. There's never been a clearer example right here, but I honest to God believe we do this every day. We look at these guys and say, those dumb idiots. How could you miss Jesus in your life on the journey? But I really think we got to look in the mirror. I think this is much more often than we'd expect. We got to keep on keeping on. Jesus is a little snarky. Anybody here get a little snarky sometimes, a little bit? We get, you can confess it. Come on, it's okay. Jesus is a little snarky. He still doesn't say it to him, by the way. I love this. He said to them, look, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. What did he do? Because of their expectations, he pointed to the scripture. They misread the scripture. It caused a lot of tension and confusion. They had the wrong view. It caused a lot of tension and confusion. I wanted to challenge you with this today that we can trust the Bible historically. Because a lot of you think you can't. It's impossible. But I wanted to tell you we can trust it historically. I'm amazed at how many people get their theology from like beach reads. Remember that book, Da Vinci Code? Y'all remember that book? So many people get the theology from that. It's a fiction. Here's what it says, that in 325 AD, the emperor Constantine was in power and he ruled, he decreed. He didn't just say it, he declared it. Okay, that Jesus is divine and we're going to hide. That was an office reference, by the way, if anyone knows. I see a few office fans in the mix. Thank you for getting my joke. I see, I'm, I'm going to preach to y'all from now on. Okay, he, he declared it. Okay, that Jesus is divine and that they suppressed all the evidence of Jesus being a normal guy. They, they hit all that. That's in a book by Dan Brown. That's not true. Some of y'all learned it there. Some of y'all learned it on a History Channel documentary right after watching Ancient Aliens. You watch three hours of a show telling you the aliens built the pyramids and then the Bible show comes on and you're like, let's learn something. It's amazing. It's amazing. Y'all need to know this. Write this down. Jesus' divinity is proclaimed way too early, way too early for the gospels to be legend. Because look, if it's in 325, it's 300 years for myths to grow and ideas to spread and things to blow out of proportion. It happened that generation. Immediately. They were worshiping him. Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he talks about, he lists people. This person saw him, this person saw him. One time over 500 people saw the resurrected, risen Jesus at the same time. He says, go talk to him. You don't believe me? Fine, go talk to them. Go speak to them. They'll, they'll shoot you straight. There's this technique the writers would use. And you've probably been reading the Bible and saw this, and you probably thought it was a little loopy, a little goofy, and you ignored it. But I wanted to tell you it's very important. Sometimes the Bible will just th- drop a random name. And you're like, 
Who's that? There's this one part in Mark, Mark 15, where we're going to go to real soon. And it's a very intense part. Jesus is about to be crucified. He's carrying the cross up this hill. He's about to be crucified. It's the climax of the story. It's a dark time. There's a lot of tears and blood and crying. And Mark, who is a very concise writer, decided to include this. Mark 15, 21. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon. Oh, that's the father of Alexander and Rufus. Was passing by on his way in from the country. And they forced him to carry the cross. Who the heck is Rufus? <laughs> Am I missing something? Are you Rufus? Are you? Does anybody know a Rufus? Is Rufus here? Who's Rufus? And why in the most important climax of the whole Bible is Mark saying, oh, by the way, Rufus was here. It's because they were eyewitnesses. In those days, they didn't write with bibliographies. They didn't have a works cited page. They didn't have a footnote. The way the author would substantiate his claims would include, essentially say, you don't believe me, go talk to Alex. Go talk to Rufus. Go talk to these people. These are people that they knew. He said, you don't believe me? Fine, go talk to them. They'll give you their side of the story. It's going to line up perfectly. But go ahead, ask him. Go ahead, ask him. Paul wrote this book called Philippians. It's a letter to the church in Philippi. It was about 15 to 20 years after Jesus' death, 15 to 20 years. Now we see that they worshiped him as divine during his life and right after, but this letter historically shows that within 15 years, we have hard evidence that they were, that they were doing it. Not 300 years, 15 to 20 years. There's a hymn in there. It talks about Jesus is of the very nature God. He had equality with God. Not 300 years, 15 to 20 years. Christians worshiped him. And if any group of people would have a hard time believing that a man could be divine, would be the Jews. They didn't even say the name of God. They didn't even write the name of God who was so holy. And something, something happened so big, so miraculous, that they dropped what they were doing and started worship a, worshiping a living, breathing, and then dead, and then alive again, individual. Something remarkable happened. 15 years is not much time. I had to do some research. Who was big in our culture 15 years ago? You know who was big? These two, Nick Lachey and Jessica Simpson. Y'all know 98 Degrees? Yes, you do. Some of the guys know too. They ain't gonna admit it, but they do. They remember. What would it take for me to convince you that they were of the very nature God? What would it take for me to convince you they were actually God in the flesh? Any takers? 15 years. You're laughing because it sounds ridiculous. You're laughing because it sounds completely loopy, but you need to understand these people had nothing to gain. They had nothing to gain. We've all been to a church or to a, a traveling speaker, and you're like, he has his own jet, okay? That guy has something to gain. These people had nothing to gain. You know what happened to them? They didn't get new houses. They got thrown out of their houses. They got ostracized. They got crucified. Some of them got stoned for saying this. Not like musical festival stoned. I'm talking about like the one with the rocks, that kind of stoned, okay? They got stoned for saying this. They had no agenda other than it was the truth. They had nothing to gain and everything to lose. And oftentimes they did li literally lose everything. Another theory was that um, none of the Bible, bless you, actually happened. But instead, 
Leaders in the early church wanted to consolidate power. And so like the apostles and the, their followers, they, they, they made up these stories to put them in a place where they could control power and say the true message of Jesus. Oh, really, ding dong. So they made this up. Have you seen how counterproductive the New Testament is if you've read it? The disciples look like idiots on every page. They look like total nincompoops. And you're trying, it's fun to say nincompoop, isn't it? You can say it if you'd like. It's fun, isn't it? The disciples look like idiots on every page. They don't understand. They don't get it. And you're telling me they wrote this to stay in power? That doesn't make any sense. There's one point. Jesus calls his right-hand man Peter. Jesus calls Peter the devil. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. And you're telling me Peter made that up? That's very flattering. The son of God called me the devil. It's too counterproductive. It's too counterproductive. Let's continue. Verse 27. Jesus did this kind thing. It says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The problem stems from here, misreading and misunderstanding the scripture. Is it possible the Bible does not say what you think it says? Is it possible the Bible does not teach what you think it teaches? They had no idea what it was actually saying. They thought the Savior was coming to conquer, not to be conquered. They thought the Savior was coming to kill, not to be killed. They thought the Savior was coming to rule, not, not to surrender. So when they saw him, they missed him. I wanted to ask you today, are you missing him? Is he right there with you on the journey, walking, asking you questions, talking to you, trying to break in every single step of the way, but you're missing him? Let's conclude here, verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for the evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks. And you know what he did? He broke it and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and did what? Open the scriptures to us. When Jesus sat down patiently and with grace, he was a little snarky, but for seven miles they walked and he said, hey, let me show you what this really says. Let me show you what this is really teaching. Let me help you understand what this book is and what it's about. How did they escape their expectations? the scripture? How did they clear out their inconsistencies, the scripture? What got them where they were actually going? It was the scripture. It was a true accurate reading of the scripture. When we erase our expectations, we can finally at last reach our destination. When we really see the word as it was, we can arrive where we're trying to go to. You need to know the scripture will take you where God is leading. And you may hear this, but you may be frustrated because you may be saying, that's cool, but I don't think I'm gonna have that chance, dude. First off, I don't do cardio. Secondly, if I did, I don't think Jesus is gonna come up on me and uh, walk with me for seven miles and explain this to me. That's true. That probably is not gonna happen. But I wanted to tell you we actually have something better. First off, if you are a believer, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've invited him into your heart, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You don't have him for seven miles. You have him for a lifetime. 
That's something to get excited about. One person in the back understands. One person in the back gets it. And I love that because whoever just shouted, she understands she's never alone. She's never alone in the journey. She's never by herself in the fear. She's never, when she can't sleep at night, when she's having that nightmare, when she's having that fear, when she's having that discomfort, when she's having that heartbreak that she's actually not alone. She understands that. She gets that. That's what scripture offers us. Something else we have that they didn't have, we have Jesus' word. Now, it's easy for us to mistreat this. It's easy for us to hang out on Instagram. I'm guilty too, rather than during quiet time. It's easy to be like, I don't got time for this. I don't, I'm, too, I'm too busy for this. There's one little story which I think gets the point across I want to share with you today. When I was a freshman in college at Virginia Tech, there was a school. Did you, did you not know that? Maybe, maybe you need to know that. It was 2007. It was April 16th. It was a Monday morning. It was snowing, which is awful. I was in class taking an exam, acing it, no doubt. And there was a school shooting on campus. 33 of my classmates were murdered in a single morning, and 70 more plus were, were injured that day. Okay, and people ask me all the time, so I'll tell you if you want to know. Yes, I knew friends who were killed. Yes, I knew friends who had to literally jump out of second-story buildings to escape with their lives. And yes, I knew people who were in classrooms hiding under desks and just happened to not uh, get pierced with a bullet. I knew friends who were locked down in, class, in their class for hours just because they weren't sure it was safe to come out. And a friend of mine, and I, I don't know if this is 100% true, stories circulate, and it's such a raw thing. You never look back. You, it's too rude to go back and say, hey, was this, was this little anecdote true? I believe there's truth in it. I hope it's the truth, but I'm not, I'm not going to ask her parents. But a friend of mine, she did die. She did pass away. And when the parents got that call, I can't imagine being a parent now hearing the absolute worst news you could ever hear, and that is that your child has been killed, going after their dreams, being the best them they could be. Well, obviously what they did, obviously what any parent would do, it was a panic, and they're throwing their things together, and they're, they're, they're trying to get to Blacksburg, and they're trying to figure this out, and people are calling, and people are texting, and you got 50 voicemails, and all these missed calls, and all these emails, and people want to know how things are going. And they get there, and they get to the hospital, and yes, it was in fact their daughter who had died. The next days, weeks, months were absolute hell. But through that time, they're planning a funeral, planning a memorial, doing all this stuff. And the mom noticed something. She can't believe it, but she had overlooked. Her phone had blown up so much, she had missed something. She had an unread voicemail from her now deceased daughter. She had never opened it. She had never seen it. Things are so crazy. It was either lost or her just it was never there before. It's here right now. Now, what do you think that mother did? Do you think she ignored it? Do you think she deleted it saying, what's the point? Or do you think she opened it and wept as she did so? Do you think she listened to it over and over and over again? Do you think she took her time? Do you think she still has it today? I would wager yes. Y'all, this is the exact same situation many of us are in. Jesus isn't here right now. We can't touch him. We can't invite him for dinner. We can't bring him in. But we have something. We have his word. And for so many of us, it's with us, but it's unopened. I'm going to ask you what you're going to do with it. Are you going to ignore it? Are you going to delete it? Or are you going to engage with it? Words from beyond the grave. Let's be like that mom. 
Let's not let any heartache, heartbreak, or confusion or tragedy to cause you to miss out on an opportunity to be a part of something miraculous. Will you allow his words to guide you? Will you erase your expectations and allow him to meet you exactly where you are? Because when we escape our expectations, we will finally reach our destination. Let us pray. Father God, let us drop our cultural and historical expectations so that we can see you so that we can engage with your word. We bring so much to the table when it comes to church, so much baggage, so much pain, so much heartbreak, and so much heartache. Father God, that mom had something in her possession which to her was probably priceless. The words of her daughter, just for her. Father God, may we realize we have something far more valuable than they. We have the words of our Father just for us. A love letter from you to us. May we look at it clearly. May we test everything and hold fast to that which is good. And may we not only read the Bible, may it read us in a sense. May it challenge us, push us, grow us and sharpen us. Father God, we love you. We thank you that we can ask real questions, hard questions, and engage in your son's good Sweet, present name we pray. Amen. Ascent, we're about to go to a time of praise, a time of singing. And as you stand to your feet, we're going to have some leaders up here. If you need prayer for anything, you're invited to come forward. Let's stand to our feet, Ascent, and let's get loud. Jesus is on the move in Virginia Beach. And if you would like to learn more about who we are and our mission, follow us at Ascent Church 757. If you would like to give to further our mission to impact this city and beyond, you can do so at our website, ascentchurch.net. We hope to see you soon.